You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Okay, we're rolling. Welcome back. Welcome back. Exactly. Uh, this is the Real Estate Law Podcast, episode number two. I feel like we just did this. It's been a while. I've missed you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, since uh, since we last recorded, uh, we've been joined by Rosie, the Wonder Dog, who is... Uh, oh, there she is. Hi, Rosie. Apparently, she can still hear. You're giving me this look. <laughs> Okay, so uh, already we're off the rails, but this is episode number two of the Real Estate Law Podcast, and uh, thank you very much for downloading this episode and choosing to listen. Uh, Today we're going to talk all about short-term rentals, and when we say short-term rentals, uh, we're talking about industry that actually has been around for quite some time, uh, a lot longer than just uh, in the Airbnb world that we're all in right now, right? Right. In today's context, we keep talking about Airbnbs and VRBOs, but vacation rentals have been around for generations. People have been going up to the lake in the mountains or down to the beach and renting out homes for quite a while. What's changed in the age of Airbnb is just the sheer number of the the rental places that are available and where they're located. Now they're coming into the cities and the suburbs where they weren't before, impacting housing stock and causing a lot more issues and facing a lot more regulation than they used to in the past. Right. So in the past, you used to have to rent these through uh, through brokerages or anyone who specialized in renting to short-term vacation renters. But right now, you know, we live in a DIY world where you can pretty much get anything you want right from your smartphone. And, uh, you know, just as we've recorded episodes, we actually... Full disclosure, uh, we're recording two episodes the same day, so we just recorded episode number one, this is number two, but during episode number one, uh, we just received a booking for one of our vacation properties, and we own two vacation properties, and uh, it's always nice to see when you're uh, not really paying attention, next thing you know, your phone actually has a booking inquiry, Um, but you know, this happens all day, every day, you don't have to wait for uh, the agent that you're working with to let you know that you have a booking and then have them take their tempers at commission, it could happen in the middle of the night. It could happen right now. Yeah, and it also means that you have to pay attention to it all the time, but it can be a great way to invest in a property and get a better return than you otherwise would have if you were renting it out just to a long-term tenant. Exactly. So since this is the Real Estate Law Podcast, we're going to talk about both elements of that uh, with the short-term rental space. We'll talk about the real estate side of it. Uh, we'll talk about the law side of it. My name is Jason Muth, and I'm a real estate investor, uh, and this is attorney Rory Gill. Yep, Rory Gill of Next Home Title Town and Urban Village Legal. Next Home Title Town and Urban Village Legal, our attorney broker. Okay, so let's start with, uh, you know, is this field new? We already said that it's been around for a long time. Uh, it's, it's, it's not brand new, but it's emerging, and with any emerging field, uh, what happens? The laws often are a bit behind the actual technology. Is that true? Right. I mean, the analogy often given to these short-term rentals is that taxis have been around for quite a long time in the form that they were, and then Uber came in. It wasn't necessarily a brand new concept, but 
the way that they deliver the product revolutionized it and created lots of good impacts for everybody, but also a lot of side effects that people did not foresee. And it caused the government to respond with a host of new regulations. Some of them make sense. Some of them don't. Um, but we'll dive into that too. Right. Some of those regulations come from local governments. Uh, some come from the federal government. Like, how do you tax this? How do you make sure that this is actual income that you can track? Uh, some I'm talking with the uh, the Uber and Lyft world that we're in. Uh, you know, insurance companies want to find out. You know, are you driving your vehicle for? Uh, for profit? Are you driving the vehicle to actually have passengers in the car as well who maybe you don't know who they are? You know, what, what, what's their liability there? Same same situations with Airbnbs and HomeAway and VRBO. And uh, is that what INS means? I just took a look down at what you wrote. Is that insurance? Okay, good. Yeah, uh, just to remind myself to talk about that later as well. Okay, we but will. You're talking about the host of different government regulations and you started with the federal government, but there are actually very few impacts there. Okay. You, you have to pay your taxes just the same, the income taxes. But when you go into the state and local level, it's quite the maze. Right. Okay. So let's quickly talk about, first of all, what is this space? How, do, how does this work? I mean, I know we might take it for granted that we understand the Airbnb world and, and how to book there and why you'd want to go that route uh, versus staying in a hotel somewhere. Uh, but not everyone does. I mean, some people, you know, we'll go to real estate meetups or we'll talk to people the fact that we have uh, vacation properties that we rent out this way and, and we'll get a whole um, slew of reactions. Sometimes people will be like, oh, that's great. You know, I've always wanted to do that. Or, oh, I actually have one myself. Or, oh, I th- I've stayed in Airbnb once before. To, why would you want to do that? That sounds like a pain. Uh, what are the rules behind that? You know, isn't it strange having people sleeping in your place? You know, because we actually also use the properties that we have for vacation rentals. Uh, you know, they're kind of thinking about that. They're not really thinking about the rules behind it, the law behind it, you know, any situations we had with acquiring the properties, if we had to disclose how we're going to use it, what have you. Um, so, you know, let's let's talk about this space first. So um, I think that Airbnb is one of those terms that it's uh, it's like Kleenex. You know, it's like Google. It's It's one of those terms that's become a verb. Okay, you know, I, I Airbnb'd my place out. Right? Yes. Um, now, uh, it, it's crossed over into being an active verb. Since it's done that, you know that that is probably one of the leaders in the space. Even though there's uh, HomeAway, there's VRBO, uh, there is TripAdvisor that also does vacation rentals, there's Vacasa, there's a lot of these different companies out there. Uh, but, you know, for the purpose of this conversation, you know, if Airbnb is how we classify it, that's how we're going to classify a vacation rental in uh, this is 2019, we're recording this. So, uh, you know, the space isn't new, but what are some things that are some benefits as to why people actually might want to use their property as a vacation rental? Let's start there. It You can do a lot more different, a lot more things with the property. You can Airbnb, to use the verb, your home, your primary residence, and you can wouldn't be able to rent out your primary residence full time. And with a vacation property, if you wanted to use it yourself, you can use it when you wanted to use it and then Airbnb it for the remaining uh, remaining time. It's, it's not something you can do with a long-term rental. And even if you have no intention of using the property yourself, the numbers can quite simply be better. Renting out a place for a week at a time or even a day at a time can add up to quite a bit more income than renting it out to a long-term tenant a year at a time. That's the benefit, and I think you can already start to see where the problem is with the with Airbnb. Right, and you know, as as a renter, 
if you're looking for a larger space that maybe has the full amenities of your home or maybe you're staying with your family or a group of friends, you don't want to get their own individual rooms, a lot of times you'll look for vacation rentals to be able to rent a full house, you know, for example, or a, a larger space that has a yard uh, and maybe you can kind of live within a neighborhood, kind of feel what it's like to live in whatever part of the country you're, you're renting the Airbnb. There, and there's some beautiful listings. I mean, I look all the time uh, at listings around the country, and you know, I, w- I would certainly love to stay in some of these Airbnbs. They're architecturally gorgeous. Uh, they, they, it's, it's a very different experience from just a standard hotel in that same city. Right, but the ease of booking now is getting to be very similar to that of a hotel. Exactly. You know, the booking engine is great. I mean, like, you know, as I said, uh, when we recorded the first episode of the Real Estate Law podcast, uh, we received a booking actually for a week this summer. And it's because we have instant booking set uh, as long as the booker meets certain criteria with their identification and, uh, you know, their uh, whatever else, uh, HomeAway, I think, is where we got this booking from, uh, whatever else they, they verify, if it's your email address or your identity. They'll let you in, um, qualify for instant booking. So, um, you know, you know, with the Airbnb space, uh, you know, there's lots of different things you have to consider based on the type of property, right? Um, what the situation we're talking about with uh, our you know, one of the places that we Airbnb is a single family home in a residential community that's also a vacation community, and uh, you know, there's it's a loose association, really. There's no regulations about whether or not we can or can't do this. So we're allowed to do it, right? And that tends to be the situation with the least amount of restrictions. The single-family homes. Yes. Right, exactly. Because you own the property, you own the building. You know, you're not, it's not a co-living situation where you have to pay a fee toward an association, whether it's a condo association or homeowners association. Uh, but when you're talking about the cities, all right, you know, we live in Boston. We're recording this in Boston right now. And, you know, there's a whole lot changing uh, with Airbnb and short-term rentals, not only in the city of Boston, but in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole slew of things you have to consider, right? Right. And we almost have to date this podcast clearly as February 2019 because the, the, the rules and the laws are evolving that quickly as the government tries to catch up and um, impose some level of fairness without over-regulating the industry. Uh, where we're sitting in Massachusetts, uh, regulations are actually pretty new. Um, we were the wild, wild east for a while uh, with no regulations um, in the Airbnb space until actually this year. The rules go into effect in July, and it's going to force a state registry of all these properties as well as imposing the hotel tax on all um, Airbnb properties, which can be ranged from anywhere of 13 to 18%, depending on where exactly the property is. Right. So that's a game changer for um, Airbnb properties here in Massachusetts. Right. Well, Massachusetts has to get their cut now, right? Right. And it's by reputation, it's, it's interesting that they were relatively late to the game. Yeah. The other state where we ha- do business and have experience is New Hampshire, where they treated airbnbs as hotels from the very beginning imposing the same level of reporting and um, taxation that large hotel chains would have on their properties i remember after we bought the property a few years ago uh and this is you know part of the intention was to basically offset the cost of of owning it by doing vacation rentals because lots of people around this lake do that 
um, we I think we post did we post it on Airbnb and then what happened? We had not yet had a renter, but we had it available on Airbnb listed before we could even apply for the hotel license. The state sent us a letter demanding that we apply for the license. Absolutely, and there was no penalty that we hadn't applied yet. It was like a gentle reminder, like, "Hey." It was a little bit more than gentle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you know, we're we obviously want to abide by the rules of whatever municipalities in which we're operating, and we certainly recommend that. um, You know, because the alternative is that you could plead ignorance, and then. The State Department, or, uh, the Department of Revenue, is still going to come at you and say, "Well, that's nice that you didn't know, but it's your responsibility to know these things if you're going to do this." Yeah. So if you're looking at state levels, the states tend to be imposing registry restrictions and/or licensing restrictions to make sure that you apply for a license or put the property on a registry, and they're imposing hotel-like taxes on it. It varies wildly state to state, but it's something that you want to follow and want to check in with your state on. Right. So in New Hampshire. Uh, it's 9% currently. Yes. And, uh, you know, we received that letter shortly after we posted it. We uh, don't know how they found us. Uh, we have some suspicion. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, neighbors <laughs> might rat you out. They might not. Who knows? But, you know, we're we're grateful that they did because, you know, I would prefer not to have gone a year of renting and then them come back, come at us with back taxes for a year plus penalties we wouldn't have gone a year anyhow well i'm just saying you know whatever the period of time is that we would have not known that this was something that we had to do so we learned this early on and and that is a lesson right there it's like you know if you're going to get into this uh you you need to know the rules of engagement you have to know exactly what the what the laws are you can't say i didn't know because that's not going to hold up in a court of law uh if you owe the money they're going to come at you for the money right so, so we're we're fine with that. I mean, it's built into the cost right now. In fact, in New Hampshire, um, Airbnb actually remits the taxes on our behalf, and that's been going on uh, since I believe October of 2017 or November of 2017. Well, that's a question I have: is whether the the increased taxes, even the relatively high taxes, are actually going to impede the business of Airbnb properties, or if the demand is just so strong that the level of taxation almost doesn't matter to the market. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, I guess what you're suggesting here is very similar to purchasing items online that didn't have any sales tax withheld. Uh, and then, you know, when municipalities were saying, hey, listen, like, you can't just buy this online. You know, it's affecting our retailers here in the state or the Commonwealth. Uh, you, you need to pay tax on this as well. Did online shopping go down or did people stop buying things because it was tax-free online? Maybe to a certain extent, but I don't think it's had a huge impact in that business. Um, you know, last year was an interesting test for us in New Hampshire because, you know, from the first year to the second year, I didn't change. I, in fact, I think I raised the rates a little bit on the property um, because the first year we actually uh, remitted taxes from what we collected. You know, so I actually had to back that out and pay that. The second year that we did this was was last year in 2018, and um, most of, in fact, I think all of the Airbnbs, uh, you know, I kept that rate where it was or raised it a little bit, and then they charged renters tax on top of that. So that's what they remitted. So we actually, I thought, I actually think that we grossed more uh, or netted more last year because we weren't remitting our taxes out of what we collected. It was being uh, added on top of it like a typical taxes, right? Yes. In Massachusetts this year, I remember uh, we were at our other vacation rental in Provincetown, Massachusetts, uh, and we had just left. I think that day we left, 
and we check the email or I check my news later on uh, in the day on on New Year's Eve, uh, only to see that Governor Baker passed uh, the Airbnb laws in Massachusetts that same exact day, saying that July 1st in Massachusetts, uh, there's going to be taxes imposed on any rentals that happen afterward. And we've learned that in Provincetown, I think it's 14.75% or it's, it has a 14 something. I'm not sure what the exact number is. Uh, but yeah, it's almost 15% tax on top of uh, what our rental fee is going to be. Which will be quite the experiment because it's been 0% here up until now. Right, it has. And, you know, so in a market like Provincetown, like we actually don't have a, a baseline because we don't know what it was like beforehand. So everything that we know is going to be taxed going forward. And, you know, if the market is strong enough to support vacation rentals uh, and renters are going to pay it, they just are. I mean, and I don't think owners are going to absorb this cost to you. I don't believe they'll have to. It might be very market specific and we'll see how it um, behaves in the vacation uh, areas versus the cities. Right. So the cities. Okay. So let's talk about that. Since we're in the city, uh, we, we have, um, we have intimate experience with, uh, properties around us being Airbnb'd, uh, and you have professional experience on the law, on the legal side about, uh, you know, some work that you've done, um, in this field. So, from the personal experience, uh, you know, we live in a multi-unit uh, building uh, here in Boston. And our neighbors, uh, we noticed, were one of the units was Airbnb their unit out uh, a couple of years ago. I don't know exact dates of it, but, you know, we would kind of see random people on the deck every so often. And they were certainly friendly and they would talk to us and say hi. But uh, we didn't know who they all were and come to find out that, the property uh, was being Airbnb'd for a little bit. Now, why can that be problematic for a situation where there's multiple condos in the same building? So that's another level. Um, so we're skipping over the municipal we'll regulations for now. We're, I'm, I'm good because we're recording it where I'm staring at this building. And you know, I think that we could start there because it's a really easy, like personable, relatable story. So you condo associations often prohibit short-term rentals. And there, there's a wide range of reasons. One, people believe that it will detract from the quality of life. If a unit in the building has transient um, populations coming through, um, people partying for a weekend might behave differently than people who lived in the unit um, full-time as long-term tenants or as owners. Um, whether that's true or not is to be seen. But more importantly, uh, loan underwriters often will refuse mortgages to condominium units that allow short-term rentals. And that makes it much more difficult to refinance or sell your unit. So to protect that interest of unit owners, a lot of condominium documents that are being drafted now specifically exclude short-term rentals, rentals shorter than one month, three months, or six months, um, effectively banning Airbnb in condo buildings. And, and that's a new thing that's happening in condo documents now, or that that's, those provisions have been put into them over the past few years? They've been clarified and be, they've become much more rigid. And this is not just a local thing to hear. This is a national um, underwriting standard right. for and condo units. For condo units. Now, you know, there's, there's a lot of new construction happening uh, throughout a number of neighborhoods in Boston. And I would imagine that these new buildings are putting this into their condo documents as well. Almost universally. Okay. So, you know, you mentioned something about safety. I, I do understand that. I mean, I bumped into a neighbor, uh, I don't know, 
a year ago or so as as they were I think they were selling their unit. Um, and we happened to chit chat about the the Airbnb, and you know they rolled their eyes and were not thrilled about it. I could tell. And part of me was thinking maybe, you know, they were paying off the association or something and saying, hey, listen, like you know, just let me finish doing this, and I'm gonna have a long term renter in there, but you know, we'll you know we'll give you ten percent or whatever it was. I thought there was a way that they were placating them, but that didn't happen, and it was basically like they did it against everyone's you know knowledge. And then you know there were people that were coming home and finding random people in the staircase mm-hmm. that they didn't know. And, you know, like if it's your, if it's your primary residence, I can understand how that could be a little off putting. Yeah. Right. And, and neighbors will complain and yeah, it, it will be banned. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, as we were putting some notes together for, uh, this episode of the real estate law podcast, uh, you mentioned, uh, discuss the Eastie case. And, you know, here in Boston, we call uh, East Boston, which is where the airport is, lo- is located, Eastie. And Eastie is a very hot market in the city right now. Uh, you know, it was, um, you know, it's it's one of the kind of last bastions of redevelopment that's available in the city of Boston. Um, a lot of units are transacting there. There is a lot of development along the waterfront because you have a gorgeous view of downtown Boston from Easting. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of attention uh, in that market right now. And, you know, developers are looking to make money. People are always looking to make money. I would imagine that some people maybe have an interest in uh, doing short-term rentals in a market like East Boston that is right by Logan Airport that probably has a lot of people coming and going that might be right for that market. Now, what what was the case that you're you're referencing? Well, the East Boston case is an example of both of the demand for the short-term housing. Um, being close to the airport was key to having people come through. But it was um, also an example of the city's clumsy attempt to impose some regulations on Airbnb properties. At the time, there really were no rules. And a client of mine operated an Airbnb um, in East Boston, and the city came after him for operating an unlicensed bed and breakfast and I'm not kidding, the city's entire argument that they tortured this guy in court with was that the website was called Airbnb, therefore he's operating a bed and breakfast. Fortunately for us, in law, there are definitions, but by the time I was brought into the case and by the time we got the hearing before the judge, he count, he spent lots of sleepless nights worrying about the the criminal case that the city had brought against him. And we were finally able to make our argument before a judge. The city retracted its case and just withdrew. And shortly thereafter withdrew all of their cases against Airbnb operators until they can come together with new regulations. But it was a really clumsy attempt. And I think it was ethically questionable to come after people with criminal charges for that were not violating any law whatsoever. Right. So not just civil charges. They were saying there was a criminal charge here. And, and the basis of their argument was that since he was doing it on Airbnb's platform, the the characters BNB signify a bed and breakfast. So therefore, this is not allowed. Right. But in the building state building code, there was a definition of bed and breakfast. And that certainly was not met by any stretch of the imagination. And the homeowner that I was working with wasn't dead set on necessarily keeping the Airbnb going on forever and ever. He just wanted the rules to be fair across the board. Right. And he was, um, I think, rightfully upset that he was being singled out by the city and was a 
pretty terrible test case. So, so this and this case has been cited right since then. This is one of the landmark cases around here that's involved with Airbnb, or how would you classify that? I'd say it's landmark because it, the city shortly thereafter withdrew um, its cases. But they, one of the reasons they withdrew it is the city didn't want this to go up um, and face a final judgment because if they did so, then there would have been a, a definitive declaration that what they were doing was unlawful. Right. Okay. So, you know, it's an evolving space. Uh, there's new laws that are coming out all the time right now. Um, it is very municipality by municipality specific, uh, not even just down to the state, but even to the town or city level, right? Well, right, because if you, in to some degree, that makes a lot of sense. Certain cities and towns have very different interests. If you're in a community that is a vacation community, you may face regulations um, geared toward that. So we use the towns on Cape Cod, for example, that require rental certificates. Those are driven to make sure that houses are not too crowded and that there are certain minimum safety standards. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, so safety and capacity are the concerns of a lot of those towns. And also making sure that now, now with the new law that they get their, paid their share of the hotel tax. But in other municipalities like Boston, the primary concern is the housing shortage. Mm-hmm. Um, in much of eastern Massachusetts, there is a severe housing shortage, and uh, housing costs are going up. Um, housing inventory is still incredibly low. And with the potential profits in Airbnbs, um, they're taking up a lot of the housing market, uh, preventing homeowners and tenants from finding places to live. So the city's now gearing its new regulation to prevent that problem from getting out of hand. Okay. So uh, since I, I don't operate uh, a vacation rental in Boston, that's where we have our primary residence and, and there's no intention for us to do it. Uh, I'm a bit blissfully ignorant of the actual laws that are happening in Boston. I have read about the fact that, that it is changing something about number of days that you're allowed to rent out to people, I believe. But maybe you can clarify what some of the, uh, the upcoming laws are going to be. Well, Boston enacted a new ordinance which pretty much banned all Airbnbs in the city, sparing only some small property owners the right to rent out rooms in their house or parts of their two- or three-family if they actually live there. Airbnb is challenging this in court, but Boston is effectively banning Airbnbs, and even those that will continue continue to operate will have to pay additional fees and go on an additional registry— Um, This is all because the city of Boston has a pretty acute housing shortage. So they're trying to prohibit it, whereas some of the vacation communities are trying to just control it. And I would imagine the vacation communities are probably trying to encourage it, too, because a lot of these vacation communities don't have enough hotels or actual bed and breakfast properties that could support the demand for some of these busier weeks. Yeah, so it's about capturing the income that comes into the community. Where, you know, whereas even though we have a hotel shortage as well in Boston, the, the primary concern is the housing shortage. Right. Okay. So um, we could probably go on and on about this, and, and we'll probably have to devote a couple other uh, episodes to uh, vacation rentals and Airbnbs as we go on. But you know, since you have both capacities uh, as an attorney and as a real estate broker, what is your opinion of whether or not these are a good investment? They are a good investment, and it's a good way to go. However, 
you always want to calculate how else the property could be used because there is so much regulatory risk involved with Airbnbs that they could be banned in places like Boston, making drastically changing your numbers. So if you were to uh, purchase a property as an investment with the intention of putting on Airbnb, I would make sure that it also works as a full-time rental um, or as a flip or a sale because you need other exit strategies if the, the laws catch up to you and make it um, cost prohibitive or illegal to operate. Do you see a lot of listings that actually talk about the potential of an Airbnb? Um, I mean, maybe not in Boston specifically, but you know, as you're looking in communities throughout uh, southeastern Massachusetts or New Hampshire where you're licensed, do you see this like written right in there by brokers? Well, I, I did in Boston for quite a while, especially multifamily buildings that were not condominium conversions that might have had strange architectural features that didn't make the property great for somebody to live in full time, but a short-term visitor would tolerate. That option for those properties has gone away, but you, at one time, not long ago, you would see that in Boston listings. Right. Okay. Now, it's a great point that you talk about uh, having another exit strategy for the properties. And, you know, we think we have that with both the ones that we're operating. Uh, we're not sure. We're not planning to exit them. But, you know, if somebody does buy a property with the intention of vacation renting that property out, and for some reason, if they don't see the return they're looking for after the first year or so, you know, if the market is still strong, you know, they could always just sell the property and move on if they wanted to. If it's in a healthy vacation area that lots of people would want to just naturally own property in. Yes. Yeah. You know, because not every renter in the places that we have our vacation properties or not every property owner is actually even renting their places out in the first place. You know, some folks, they just use it themselves. If, if they if that's what they choose to do, they choose to do that. Um we actually do use the property on occasion, uh, but you know we we certainly like the bookings. Yeah, and to the other point, Airbnb can also be an interim solution. If you have a gap between tenancies, you can rent out the property in short um, term stints between the old tenant and the new tenant. So there are other creative ways to use it that aren't the primary economic driver, and that may still be legal in places like Boston, but it's. I would always have multiple plans for properties. And if you're going to make more money use operating Airbnb, that should be extra. Right. And then there's a whole lot of other considerations, you know, such as if you're going to operate the property as an Airbnb, uh, you know, it'll have to be furnished, right? You'll have to have, uh, you know, someone to clean the property and service the property and sheets and toiletries and all, all that fun stuff. And you either, either have to find and obtain a good property manager or be, be willing to engage the guest yourself. Right. So, you know, we'll we'll cover all that in a future episode of the Real Estate Law Podcast. But for now, you know, I think we could wrap it up and, uh, you know, say thank you so much once again to attorney and broker Rory Gill for joining us. Uh, so, Rory, where can people find you? I'm easy to find online at nexthometitletown.com or urbanvillagelegal.com. Excellent. Okay. And my name is Jason Muth, and we really appreciate your listening to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Uh, if you wouldn't mind... Uh, we love reviews. Hopefully, there'll be five stars or at least four. Uh, but if you could uh, jot uh, a quick review for us or if you want to rate this podcast, 
where you happen to download it, whether it was on TuneIn Radio or iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or Google Play or any of the typical podcast platforms, uh, we would really appreciate it because the more reviews we get, hopefully the more this information can be used by others. So uh, once again, uh, I'm Jason Muth. I'm Marie Gill. And thank you for listening. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.